Yeah, Revelation is some tough theology. And I was thinking about, as we were just finishing that song, um, you know that line that says, you give and take away, you know, but we're still going to praise you. And that's, that's uh, tough. That's tough. And, and I think I'm seeing in the book of Revelation more so than before, than any other books I've studied, um, is that you have this, you know, just ministering to the church that's suffering and the difficult theology that comes with that uh, th- through suffering. So, for example, if we read Romans or we read Philippians or we read Thessalonians, Paul's trying to bring some correction, right, to the church. And usually it has to do with getting along with people. Um, and he uses some big, heavy theology to teach us on how to get along with people. Um, I think in uh, Hebrews we had a little bit of a similar thing, like Jesus wins, uh, so stick with it. And with Revelation, we have that as well. But you have this, it's just got some difficult stuff, like, you know, um, stuff, the kind of theology that's hard to work through that lead people away from the faith, that they can't answer these questions, and so they don't believe in the Christian God. And as I mentioned earlier, I was talking with uh, Eduardo and he was saying it's, it's getting hard to get students come out for uh, events. And um, as we are sitting here at 10 minutes past 10, <laughs> thinking, where, where is everyone? Um, and there was, something about, there was something about a relief to that, to hear that. that oh, it's, just, it's not just me. And I, I had an experience uh, recently. Uh, the people that come to open the pool, this guy I was talking to, he starts... We just started talking on this subject, and he started laying out this scenario, and um, completely unaware of what our, you know, whatever the Wells family is is at in life right now. And I, and what he laid out was like I I couldn't believe how similar how similar the situations were, and I was like, oh, it's not it's not just me, right? And there's something about um, hearing how. Other people are going through things uh, that makes us feel like um, we are, we're not alone, that we are with others. And I think in Revelation, part of the message that is so important here is that not only are we with others, uh, but particularly we're with God, right? So I don't, I don't think we can overstate the image that we saw last week in, in Revelation 4 and 5. John has this view of the throne room, and then... Uh, the question is, who can open up the seals on this scroll? And the scroll is God's judgment. Who can, who can put the world to rights, basically? Who can fix um, all the things that are wrong? And they, the answer that he gets is this Lion of Judah, right? So this is King David's descendant, the Messiah. Um, but the image is a lion, which is loud and ferocious and mauls people, right? <laughs> but when he turns, it's, it's the lamb that's slain. And I don't think, as we go through Revelation, you can overstate that image, the importance of that image. That the one where justice comes from has been wounded, has suffered, right? right. And this was surprising even the first time Jesus shows up, right? Uh, a lot of people believe that Judas betrayed him because Jesus wasn't going to do things the way everyone thought. I thought he was going to 
start kicking butt and taking names. He was going to go with the Schwarzenegger, Terminator, Terminator approach. Yeah. Um, but it didn't happen. He suffered. He died. And even at the hardest point of his suffering, uh, he didn't turn away. And I think that can be comforting for us that Jesus paid the price. And sometimes we don't go further than that. If we talk about Jesus being the first fruits of resurrection, we look forward to resurrection, new life. But he's the first fruits, the one that goes into suffering as well. And what we see in Revelation is this acknowledgement that the church suffers. And um, it plays itself out. And we think, gosh, I don't think I like that picture. So as we read... Um, <coughs> We have Revelation 6, the beginning. It says, As I watched, the Lamb broke the first of the seven seals. And so again, the one who's bringing judgment is one who has suffered on behalf of all of us. And so that's alone should be pretty comforting. And I think we're all parents in here. And all, all the stages of parenthood can be difficult at times. Adult Parents of adults, parents of teens, parents of toddlers. We think, how, we're asking the same question. How long is this going to happen? You know, and... <laughs> <laughs> Where is the light at the end of the tunnel? Um, and so you think of being judged as a parent, right? Um, and you got maybe two scenarios. One is um, the parent that's pursuing, they're, they're, they're climbing the corporate ladder. Um, they miss the ball games. They're out late. They're always on their computer. And the kids don't feel like they're very present. Maybe, you know, because they're pursuing whatever the, the American dream is. And the other parent is uh, the person who's a minority, has been a single parent raising the kids on their own, and they've, done, they've raised six kids, and they're, they've slugged it out in a, in a rough area of town, and they, they're, they're, their kids end up great. It's like, who do you want to be judged by? I'm going to take number two on that one. Um, and that's what... We see here with the land. This, this is someone who has suffered. And that's who we want to see opening those seals, who's going to bring judgment upon this earth, justice upon the earth. Someone who's loved everyone to, to the nth degree. Uh, when I heard uh, one of the four living beings uh, with a loud voice like thunder say, Come. And I looked, saw a white horse standing there, and its rider carried a bow. And a crown was placed on his head. And he rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. Um, so the first horse, we have the four horsemen here. The first one is white. Um, when the lamb broke, here's that section, John, that I can't read. When the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, Come, another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. When the lamb broke the third seal, I heard a third living being say, come. I looked up and saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, a loaf of wheat bread for three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay, and don't waste the olive oil and wine. Then the lamb broke the fourth seal. I heard the fourth living being say, come. <clears throat> Sorry. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. This is gross. This is the color of mucus, right? That's what it is. It's death. Someone, 
you know, it's lost its color. Uh, its rider was named Death, and its companion was the Grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. So we have the first four horsemen of the apocalypse. And the first one that goes out is on white horses. And all of these symbols um, would have a meaning that the people there would, would know. Uh, to, to us, it seems a bit mysterious. Um, but in AD, I think it was in AD 62, um, the Romans suffered this uh, incredible defeat on the eastern end of their borders by the Parthians. And the Parthians were known as the only army out there that were horsed uh, archers. And they only, wore, they only rode white horses. You know? So there's these symbols of death and war that goes out. Um, and it doesn't mean that it's referring to that particular army. It's just a picture of war going out and civil war. And, um, and we know what it's like. Um, you know, this seems ancient, and I think it was a more, much more violent culture. But let's be honest, the 20th century was the bloodiest that we have on record. I mean, it began and ended with ethnic cleansing. And um, you hear about Hitler all the time, and the six million, but then Stalin as well, six million. And then there were six million Chinese killed after that by a leader I can't pronounce the name of, but... Yeah, Well, I, it's just... I read this one stat that in the last decade of the 20th century, the decade alone, if you added up all these little things that were happening around the globe, for, for just 10% of that whole century was 6 million, roughly 6 million people. So with all the technology and all our knowledge... There's still a lot of suffering in the world. Um, and so that's the first horse. And then what uh, comes beyond that, um, that's the part I couldn't read. Another horse appeared. The red one, that's right, it was given. Uh, what is that? Wendy, we're on verse 3. I know. Yeah. Another horse appeared red. It was right, it was given a mighty sword and authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. So this is what, what we're seeing with these horses is that there's the, this is the natural consequence of conflict on the earth and war. And it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. The third seal, third living being, saying, come, I, I, I saw a black horse, its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And here we have the consequences of war is um, the staples that we all need gets expensive and it's hard. And because they're staples, it affects everyone except... Here we say, don't waste the olive oil and the wine. So the wealthy, you know, those things that are pricey, those can stay the same. And so it's a picture of the people that are on the margins uh, and suffering. The poor, they suffer more than those who have. And then we come to death. The lamb broke forth a seal. I looked and saw a horse, the color was green, and death. And you have not everyone suffering but one-fourth of the earth. There's a portion. Okay, so it's just a natural progression of sin on earth being let loose. And then we get to what is so hard about this passage, uh, the next seal, the, the sixth seal. The fifth seal, I'm sorry. Uh, when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God. And for being faithful 
in their testimony. So this is simply Jesus is Lord. You know, when you say that back then, because Caesar is Lord, you're taking your life in your hands. When you stand up for the Jesus above all, all other things, and in our country, um, we are blessed that we can vote people in and out of office and vote for laws, and we have a freedom of religion and all that. So I think this is not something that we experience so much, but we are still tack- we still have to tackle what's most important in our life. Is Jesus Lord or not? And sometimes that has a consequence, um, following Jesus. And so we have this picture of people that are suffering, um, and they're faithful to their faith. And in, in verse 10 it says, They shouted to the Lord and said, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? And this is all throughout Psalms and Prophets. The question is how long? Sometimes I think our question is why? And what I love about this is that it assumes the sovereignty of God. It's not where, it's how long is this going to happen? We, we believe that you're there. How long are you going to let it happen? In other words, it kind of assumes that God has power to stop it, right? Mm-hmm. And so you see two things that are kind of stock in this situation. One is the question, how long? And the other is this idea that evil needs to complete itself. You need to, you need to, run its it needs to run its course and the, and the suffering goes along with it. Um, in Genesis 15, God talks about, uh, talks to Abraham about uh, the promise and he says, uh, but it's not going to happen yet. Um, the sin of the Amorites needs to um, be complete. And so you have this idea that evil needs to run its course um, before we see God come in and act. And so this is where I think it's such a stumbling block. And I, I, as people in my extended family, where we've had these conversations, if God is good, why doesn't God step in, right? And everyone's shaking their head like, yeah, it's hard to wrap our minds around. And here we have this picture, and I think it, it talks about the martyrs with the blood under the altar. And so what would happen in the ancient world, in the temple in Israel, is that it was believed that life is found in the blood. Um, so that's partly true, I guess. You know, not advanced medicine there, but the belief is that your, your life is found in the blood. And so you, you sacrifice this animal and you sprinkle it on the altar, the altar, and it runs down underneath. It's called under um, the altar. The blood is under the altar. Oh, yeah. And this is a place of worship. And all this burnt goes up to God. And so it's a, it's a picture of sacrifice um, and worship. It's a picture of worship. And so the way this pictures it is that it transforms their suffering into this idea of worship. And I just feel like if you take that approach in our culture, that's going to be shut down quick. And it's hard to wrap our own minds around. How can a good God let this happen? And I think that deep down we want transformation. And maybe we need to think of, um, you know, that relationship which is so difficult in family or at work or um, health. Yeah. Yeah. We get news and we feel like we're suffering and we don't have any answers. 
And when we want transformation or addictions, you know, that seem to just, uh, they're like a shadow. They're always following you. And you just wonder how long, how long, how long I have prayed about this. I've come to you with this. God, where are you? Um, And I think that's a stumbling block for so many people. And we want that transformation and we want it fixed. But that's not transformation. That's a quick fix. That's a patch. That's a, that's a Band-Aid. And so you go to the doctor. We do this. We go to the doctor, particularly uh, with kids. When we go with our kids and they're younger, the doctor's asking you all these questions. You come in with something, and they're asking you, what do you feed them? And then as a, an adult, as a parent, you're feeling really guilty, and you're always, like, rounding down to, like, oh, they only have, like, six minutes of TV a day, you know. And <laughs> That's all we allow. Um, and they eat vegetables all the time. And it, but they start asking about, you know, uh, the media activity. They ask about your, what you're eating. They ask about sleeping habits. They ask, you know, are you having meals around the table as a family? And, and then they're, they're just they're trying to get down underneath everything. And there's this sense that you got to get down there. And this is, I think this is true for counseling as well. You think, oh, I'm having anxiety at work. And then you go through the counseling and it's uncovering Plenty of other stuff. And, and the idea is that if, if we want real transformation, you got to get down to the root of the issue and you got to deal with that. And let's be honest, none of us want to deal with that. <laughs> it's too painful. Yeah, it's hard. We feel like it's going to be too painful. Like, I'm not going to survive that. That's going to be much harder than actually just dealing with surface issues. Give me a pill and we'll call it good. Um, yeah, so, but transformation needs to uncover. And so there's a sense in Scripture that evil needs to be exposed completely in order for transformation and restoration to really happen. Um, I keep remembering what Zoe taught us so many years ago. God, it's, it's not, uh, um, God is making all new things. I think we want that, but God is making all things new. And in order to do that on a societal level, it's got to run its course. And we're just sitting wondering, why, if God is good, why, do, why are people suffering? And so this image is taking that suffering and it's transforming it into an act of worship, which we read also in Romans 12, you know, offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice. And we think, okay, I just need to plug through this tough situation. And, um, but here we see it as evil on a large scale level in our world. Um, and for us, I think it comes in different sort of ways, but in, like I've been saying, in many parts of the world, you're taking your life in your hands to come and worship in a small space like this. Um, and so I haven't been reading. I've just been talking. All right. Where are we at? Uh, (coughs) The fifth seal, verse 9. Under the, uh, when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the, altar of the souls, uh, under the altar of the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful to their testimony. They shouted to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, how holy and true, how long before you judged the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done. This is not so much personal vengeance. This is a... When, it, when is the world going to be set right? It's a justice. It's a societal justice thing that they're asking for. Um, 
Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be martyred, had joined them. And I know, so it's hard to wrap our minds around, but there's this idea that when we are suffering and we're going through that, whether it's suffering with our blood in a place where that doesn't allow congregations like this, or whether it's suffering through um, whatever it is in our life that we feel like we're suffering and we're wondering where God is, getting through that is an act of worship. And it's hard. Um, I don't know how to share this with people down the street um, because it seems, right? Am I right? It just seems like that's going to be a stumbling block for people. Um, But that's God's story. Yeah. One of the things you see here is that God is sovereign um, and that God uh, rules over. And there's a matter of time where that will, Mm. the world will be set aright. And so part of, I think, the... Part of, I think, the application for us is asking where is that happening in the world and how are we coming alongside? You know, we just sent a couple thousand dollars to uh, refugees in, in the Ukraine and being able to see those things happening and getting involved. And I have to admit that I'm terrible at that. I'm terrible at that. I don't, I don't know where this shirt was made. I didn't do the research or who suffered, might have suffered in the making of it. Um, and I don't know about you, but I feel overwhelmed a bit by the world's issues and the, the kind of injustice that we see across the globe. Um, but I think that when we get to a place where we believe, when we fully believe that God is sovereign, then it perhaps gives us a bit of strength to, to march into those overwhelming areas with faith. And even though we don't have all the answers to move forward and help those who are struggling... And certainly with our own struggles um, that have a lot have been risen, you know, from pandemic in the last two years, um, is to be able to have the faith that, you know, as we stick with it, this is an act of worship and God is still there, even though it doesn't seem like it's true. Um, I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun became a dark as black cloth. And the moon became as red as blood. And again, this is a progression. Things get worse. Um, when the stars of the skies, then the stars of the skies fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree, shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, see, it's not a quarter. That are suffering. <laughs> it's not 25%. Now everyone's suffering. The powerful and every slave and free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to survive? Um, so it gets worse, and you have these pictures of creation falling apart. And that's, that's a sign of, uh, well, we have Noah in the flood, right? Yeah. So when the earth, we talked about this the other day, uh, when the earth is created 
it's pictured as this watery chaos. And one of the first things that happens is the waters above are separated from the waters below and land and light and everything's put in its place and it's put in order. And it's a beautiful picture of what God can do uh, for the world and in our lives. Um, and when wickedness reaches this point where it says God is grieved that he created humankind, what it says is that the waters from below and the waters above came crashing back together. That's the picture of the flood. It's not just rain. We always see the rain, right? But it's waters from below and rain. And what it is, is it's showing society as returning to this point of chaos. It's like when creation itself falls apart, it's symbolizing just society falling apart. And so things get worse and worse and worse. And then we go to, we don't open the seventh seal yet. We go back to the bowls are next. And it almost feels like when you read it, it's all linear, like, Seals, bowls, trumpets, and it's not. You get to six, and it kind of comes back. The bowl is like a return, and then it comes back again. It's a very circular sort of, think of it as a downward spiral, <laughs> these, these, uh, these, all these seven uh, judgments. Um, and that's what we get to 